Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hello, I'm Jonathan Moles, and you're listening to Startup Stories, the weekly show from the Financial Times in which I talk to entrepreneurs about the joys and challenges of starting a business. 20 years ago, Chetan Dubé was a math professor in New York, but he gave it all up to pursue a career in business. He told me what inspired the move. We used to have a library on the 12th floor of Courant Institute of Math Sciences, and I remember walking into the library one time and picking up one of my old articles, a journal that had one of those articles, and it literally had dust on top of it. That's how inconsequential it seemed that my earlier research was amounting to. This was obviously going on 20 years ago. And so I felt, Jonathan, compelled that I must do something that can meaningfully contribute to the betterment of people around me as opposed to just what I used to joke about. I was in the business of cutting trees and writing uh, articles that had little consequence. But you succeeded in building a significant business. So how do you think you've done that, going from a math professor to entrepreneur? Obsessive compulsion with trying to see if we could be the first ones that could answer to that elusive Turing horizon. You know, not far from here, Alan Matheson Turing, he started his thesis, I read that, in 1950s. He started his thesis by saying, I propose for you to consider the question, can machines think? That question has haunted me for now 20 years. What kind of a world would it be? if machines could seriously and sincerely think, and how could it be to the betterment of man if we had thinking machines along that could be liberating man from mundane chores and allowing him higher forms of creative expression? So you've created a device that can do its It's not a device, sir. It is, uh, my wife believes I'm having an affair with Amelia, so she is very real. The boundaries between carbon-based organisms and silicon-based organisms are going to progressively be diffused. And Amelia is emblematic of that shift. I submit to you that in the next nine years, you will pass somebody in the hallway and you will not be able to tell if it's a human or an android. What about the issue of consciousness? Not only does Amelia have affective computing is a very important field of the study where she has to have emotional quotient. She has EQ. She also has the integration of emotional quotients as the mood vector. And integration of mood vectors give you the personality vector. So moods and human emotions have been studied in great deal of depth and they have been modeled in a three-dimensional vector space, which allows us to be able to give these machines an emotional response to you and also have an emotional understanding of like, ah, oh, Jonathan was nice to me the last time. And Jonathan likes me to be pithy. And Jonathan likes me to be concise. And that's emotional connection and affective connection. Machines are definitely going to have that emotional connection. What is it that Amelia is able to do 
So for six out of the top 10 banks, she's doing wealth management, investment advice. Today, she's doing accounts processing. She's doing mortgage issuance, origination, underwriting, actuarial analysis for banking, for instance. And if you look at insurance, for instance, seven out of the top 10 insurance companies, ranging from Allstate to State Farm to MetLife to AIG, all are employing Amelia for their claims and for their IT service desk and varying activities that span across the entire insurance vertical at large. What were you starting with? How did you fund that initial launch and growth? We had two family trusts that funded us. There's the Dubai Living Trust and the Dubai Family Trust. Both of them are from my family side that were giving us significant endowments to be able to pursue this research and to be able to really see how humans are thinking. Like, we are having a conversation right now. Everything that I'm saying, if I could say to a chatbot, do you think I would have as rich a conversation as I'm having right now? I like to think no. No. (laughs) And why is that? Because what I'm saying right now is being vectored into, Jonathan, your semantic memory, your episodic memory, your events memory that is about events and artificial intelligence, your process and your affective connection to the topic. You have an emotional connection also to the topic. And only after that happens are you compiling a response that is contextually rich and meaningful to the conversation. Chatbots cannot do that. And that's where Amelia is different and our research is different because we have tried to see how can we really emulate neocortical activities and provide a human equivalent experience. And that's exactly what you said. The customer experience and the net promoter score has to be positive. People have to have a human or better experience in connecting with a machine providing them the service. How is Amelia doing that? That's different to the sort of chatbot. So we study your brain and we see that you have got a big hippocampus, which is storing all semantic factual standard operating procedures. Say insurance, let's take the case of MetLife. Let's take an example. You come in and you want uh, questions about your auto insurance. Well, you have a huge glossary of information about auto insurance stored in your hippocampus. So Amelia has to have that information too. Then she has to have episodic memory. I've talked to Jonathan in the past and these are the things that he is typically or people have been asking about regarding auto insurance. Ah, I use that as well. And then I have certain processes that I follow. And then I have an emotional connection to Jonathan. It's, oh, I got into a car accident. Well, I'm not just going to say, I'm sorry to learn about that. I have to have an affective, which is more contributing to positive customer satisfaction scores. And then, and only then, you provide a human equivalent or better experience. And that's how she works. This presumably takes some very intelligent people to program this kind of stuff. What people did you bring together to get the company started? So we have many professors, even today from Stanford and MIT and others that actually collaborate with us and from University of Illinois who work with us. But we've been fortunate to draw some of the best brains. You're absolutely right that actually contribute to this field. How do you convince them that you're the people to work for? I think uh, better than I could articulate, Amelia convinces them. You're not saying that the AI actually interviews your candidates? (laughs) No, actually, it does to some extent. And they come and meet Amelia. In fact, that's been one of the big things that has drawn a lot of the professors of real significant caliber to come and see where the state of art is 
and that gets them excited about wanting to be a part of it in its future evolutions. I imagine they're, they're very expensive people to employ. Do they then want stock options or some other connection with the company? That's one of the areas where having the two family trusts give us endowments. We are able to invest in the brains that will actually sincerely push the boundaries further. What sort of amounts are we talking about here that you'd, you'd have to invest to get this off the ground? Over a period of time, I mean, I think that our investments have been well into hundreds of millions in US dollars. And what's harder? Is it getting the technology right or building the teams, getting the people right who can sell this stuff? Ah, that's a very good question. I think we are better at the technology than at the selling of this technology. But I think the best salesperson is the technology itself. When now one in every 10 Global 2000 company has started to use Amelia as a digital employee, no matter how sincere a mathematician like me could be telling that this is where tomorrow is, where labor is replaced with digital labor, it is actually when the companies and their chief executive officers say, ah, we have adopted Amelia, we have cut down our costs by about 55%, and we have improved the customer experience. That is the only unequivocal measure by which all other CEOs tend to subscribe. So when you have a Credit Suisse or UBS, when they start to move in shifting their customer service, the rest we have seen is an inflective surge in the market. Who do you see as your competitors? So there is a mushrooming of AI companies and machine learning companies, and you would find that we are absolutely impressed to see how much interest has been created in the marketplace in artificial intelligence and machine learning companies, and that has caused there to be a plethora of them. When we see all of their marketing materials, it reads just about the same. How do we measure the impact of these companies? And I think the only way that I would say the unequivocal way would be to see what do the clients value them as? What are the clients willing to invest in them? Because the clients, if they are investing a dollar, they expect at least a dollar and a half back. And when it comes to that, and when it comes to about a quarter billion impact in artificial intelligence, you find the field to be rather rarefied and you find it to be mostly IPsoft and IBM Watson. And then you have a plethora of about 10 million and less companies that are mostly small chatbot solutions that are being, uh, let's say, piloted in the marketplace. So how do you see yourself as different from, say, IBM Watson? We believe that Watson, um, and again, it's for Watson and IBM to better comment on it, but we have partnered with IBM very gainfully and we have a deep respect for them. We feel that they are one of the best analytical engines in the marketplace. They are able to do deep data discoveries and they're able to say, look at 100 million patient care records and find out what melanomas could be affecting you. They're able to look at 73,000 articles and find what P53 protein dependence could be. So you see that there is very great level of skills in analytic technologies. What Amelia's proficiency lies in is more in conversational intelligence, cognitive intelligence, which is about contextual understanding of what is being said and responding in a way that can boost up the net promoter scores. I wonder about the ethics of this. People fear the robots taking over and removing the human equation. 
what do you say to people who will say, well, you're just replacing huge swathes of employees? You know, we were fortunate to be invited to your House of Commons to talk to your members of parliament about the same exact issue, and it's a very pertinent one. And I asked the same question, what happened to the horse and carriage driver? What happened to 90% of us that were farming at the turn of 1800s, and that is down to now 2%. The 88% are not unemployed. They're actually shaping world opinion, sitting across from me, talking about entrepreneurship. They have evolved. Human brain has always evolved. The only thing that I fear, actually, is that the speed of this change, as McKinsey estimates, the impact of this change is about $14.6 trillion U.S. dollars in about a decade's time. The impact of the first industrial revolution was about one and a half trillion, depending on which economist you subscribe to, in net present value. And that was over a period of 55 years. Now, this impact is 14.6 trillion in just a period of 10 years. So, 10 times the impact in one-fifth the time. That's what I fear. The speed of this change is so fast that if governments and companies do not move with a pace, then man can be caught on the wrong foot and there might be a period of unrest where man has to scramble to try and retool their skill sets. Fortunately, progressive governments like that in the United Kingdom are already starting to see how do we invest in vocational training in other parts of where tomorrow's job creation will lie. In automation jobs, there's going to be a huge plethora of automation and cognitive engineering jobs that are going to be required. Do you think that your business has a social responsibility to help with this enormous change? Absolutely. I think the whole purpose of this is to be able to provide a better form of creative expression for everyone. You have to be able to create a better life for the individuals that you touch with artificial intelligence. For instance, in Allstate, these agents are being augmented. It's very hard for them to know all the different insurance policies, and the technology provides them just-in-time responses and then encourages the agents to be retrained. And all of the agents' training is predicated on cognitive intelligence. And so, absolutely, the technology has a responsibility to be furthering and to be assisting the individuals to be able to get their skill sets enhanced to the next level. Does that mean that you're spending a share of profits to support these good works that you're talking about, these sort of retraining of people? Absolutely. There is also proposals that different countries have considered about taxation on automation. Look, the overall productivity is going to go up. We know that. If you have 24-7, 365 machines working around the clock, you're going to see the average GDP of the world go up. The question is, how does this get redistributed? And Sweden explores and Nordic countries have explored with us about a viable income concept, and there's different thoughts about that. France has also discussed about shrinking of the work week because uh, man has got more free time. So, I mean, I think there are different schools of thought, but I think the question that you have is a very pertinent one. I do subscribe to the fact that automation should be taxed because I think it will allow the corporations who will benefit vast amounts from this, like 55% of the cost takeouts, they should give some proportion of that to the people that can actually benefit also from the improvements that have happened. So the people that are buying your technology to be taxed? The automation part of it. So if they are deploying digital labor that digital labor itself should be taxed because I think that it is doing human equivalent work 
And it should also, part of those proceeds should also go to general population. I've been fortunate enough to meet almost all the principal banks and insurance CEOs, and I've yet to meet a single one that has said, oh, yes, I will have uh, 45% margin enhancement and 35% margin compression will be eliminated. I'll be gaining about 55% in my shareholder value creation and getting better customer experience through these technologies. And I won't be falling behind the curve of all my competitors. Hmm, maybe I won't do it. It's going to be here. I think we need to be able to see how can we benefit and how can we thrive in this new world order that is inevitably going to be on our shores. IPSOF's Amelia took 20 years to develop and was funded by a family trust fund. What's the best strategy for an entrepreneur who has a great idea but knows that it's going to take time to bring it to market? I asked Philip Silberzane of France's Emlyon Business School for his view. I think it's a pattern that you see quite often. We tend to see the growth period and we ignore the initial period when it was really slow and progressive. And that is something that has been actually described by Paul Graham from Y Combinator when he said, do things that don't scale at first, because the beginning of the process is very often very qualitative. One, because the technology is very complex, but also the market acceptance is something that is really difficult and you almost have to work customer by customer, very long process. And at some point, there's going to be a sort of an ignition, so to speak, and then you might enter in a very, very fast growth period. I think there are two extreme options. One is to raise a huge amount of capital and, you know, store many, many bullets for winter. And the other extreme option is to go very frugal for many years during the time you sort of drive for this adoption. The false start is really very dangerous because you think the market is beginning to grow and so you burn your resources and as much is happening. What struck you about the IP soft story? There are three things that struck me. The first one is on a sort of a personal dimension, which I think is always extremely important in entrepreneurship. We tend to think entrepreneurship is about ideas and technology. I think it's about people. He has some very strong words talking about obsessive compulsion, about the question, can machine think, and say that it has haunted him for 20 years. I always think entrepreneurship is deeply personal. You want to solve a problem that is important for you. It may not be important at all for other people, but for you is important. And that's what's going to drive you for these winters during which you know, there, there is no revenue and so on. But if you're haunted by something, you can eat spaghetti for like five years because it's not a problem of revenue. You're haunted by the question and you want to solve the question. I think it's something we see in those very complex endeavors when the market is not ready, but you're pushing ahead nonetheless. And that's the difference between entrepreneurs and the rest of us. I think it's a difference between entrepreneurs who succeed and those who don't. When you start succeeding, people will say, oh, yeah, that's really important. But, you know, of course, it's important because you have succeeded. I asked Chetan if he ever worried about the negative consequences of his technology. I think if you can conjure it, technology today can strive to achieve it. But the outcomes are controlled by man. Amelia learns continuously, but the control gates of what learning is certified to be okay or not okay is always governed by man. So as long as man is in the driver's seat and as long as man is not trying to fight, because if we try to fight machines on mundane chores, man will lose. 
They're better at this. They're better at routine tasks than man will be. Man is much better at creative forms of expression where he reigns supreme. And that's such a complementary fit. The new world order will be man will be doing creative forms of expression. Machines will be doing road tasks. Man will control the machine. Our mission statement says that by the leverage of expert systems, we can create a much more efficient planet and a much better quality of life for humans. That's our mission statement, and that's what we are very seriously invested in. We're taking a short break, but we'll be back on the 6th of August for our next episode in the series, when I'll talk to a couple who developed a technology that is shaking up the fashion industry. Don't forget, you can catch up on previous episodes of Startup Stories if you visit our special page, ft.com forward slash startup. And do take a look at our latest subscriber offer, which you can find at ft.com forward slash offer 50. Goodbye, and thanks for listening. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.